Hello, I'm Dennis Smith, and you're listening to Queer and It's Working. Queer and It's Working is a weekly podcast series that interviews people from the LGBTQ community who have found joy in their work. Every week, I'll speak with a relatable role model and ask them about their career and the joy and sense of identity they get from their job. Hopefully, it may inspire you that there are a multitude of careers available to queer people and that you're not alone in figuring out what you should do in life. Hi, I'm Dennis and welcome to this week's episode of Queer and It's Working. Today, my guest is Matt, who is a teacher. So hi, Matt. Hi. Um, what kind of teacher are you? Um, I'm a secondary school teacher and I teach English for my sons. <laughs> How long have you been teaching? If I don't count my probation year, this is only my second real year doing it, to be honest with you. So but um, I, I thought about doing it for a lot longer before that. Why? What did you do before? So I graduated from uni and I have one of those degrees that is totally useless unless you um, have a master's or a PhD. And I'll be quite honest, I think I'd be bothered getting one. So I hopped on a graduate scheme and I worked in the Apple store um, in Edinburgh for like, I think it was like three or four years. And then I just get really, really sick of kind of managing people. And I was like, well, who's slightly less annoying than adults? And then I landed on um, teenagers. Um, and I'll let you know, you know the decisions pending whether that was right or not. But you 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 love it so far. Oh yeah, no, I like I actually love my job. I think it's um brilliant. I've kind of enjoyed that ever since I started doing it in my student year. Um, I can't imagine doing anything else now. That's fabulous. What changed? You know, did you always want to be a teacher but didn't know it or what? I think so, to be honest with you, because when I worked for Apple, I was a trainer. Um, mm-hmm. So I would like train new members of staff and I would, you know, upskill existing staff and that kind of thing. And I really enjoyed it. And when I was at uni and um, like, you know, all students typically live in abject poverty anyway. So um, I thought the best bet would be to generate a wee bit of cash by teaching piano on the side. And I suppose I got the bug and I'm still suffering from the symptoms. So do you still teach piano now? I don't. Um, I probably could, um, but I just ran out of the time. And um, a lot of my original uh, students sort of went off and started studying music at university and stuff. And when I became a teacher, I just stopped taking on new ones. So I haven't actually taught it in a while. Although I suppose I could get back into it now that I'm a bit more settled. And so I didn't I didn't realise. So do you teach music then at secondary school? No, no. English. English. Um, I only play Piano is like an instrument. I think you play like 12 instruments to teach music in high school. Um, but no, I teach English in high school. I do sing as well, but like that's more if you're looking to be punished for something that you've done recently. <laughs> is there a particular song that you sing to people to punish them? Um, well, right now it's We Don't Talk About Bruno from Encanto, which is so far one of my favorite films I've released. Um, the unfortunate thing is my partner has to listen to that song about, well, not that song, my rendition of that song about 50 times a day. And I think he is debating moving out at some point in the future because of that. Oh, God. Okay, then I'll make sure and check up on you in a few minutes, <laughs> see how it's going. Um, so what, what, what made you decide um, in becoming an English teacher? 
she's just my favorite subject in the school and it's like um it's it, well maths was my best subject i really really like maths and i was actually better than i was at maths and i was at english but i think in my head teaching maths would be kind of boring so i decided english is always my favorite subject i like talking and um, i like reading and um, so i just kind of landed on that and i ended up like i'm still really really enjoying it so you're you're working now in um in a secondary school somewhere in Scotland, right? And you've been at the school for about two years. Um, my sister was the one that recommended you, and she said that actually you you run a society or an after school program for LGBT students. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I do. It's actually um maybe going to sound like I'm bragging here, but it's probably my biggest achievement in my life so far. Like um, the, the kids that came along when I first I started it in my probation year in 2019 and um, we started out with about six kids and right now we're home to about 50, which was like a, a kind of growth in numbers that I was not prepared for, to be honest. Um, and just because of COVID restrictions and stuff, we're only allowed to have certain amounts of people in a, in a space. So because of that, we've actually had to start turning kids away, which is, you know, a bit heartbreaking. But obviously, you know, as and when restrictions start to lighten up, we can get into it. But yeah, we run the club every single lunchtime and it is an absolute dream to run. We've, we've achieved a whole lot. And to be honest, looking to achieve a whole lot more, the best thing I've ever done was starting that club. That's fantastic. So is it a massive school that you have 50 plus kids coming every lunchtime? Don't quote me on the numbers, but I believe it's in the region of about 2,000 people in the school in total, and about 1,600 of them are the kids, um, and then the rest will be teaching, janitors, cleaners, and so on. 2,000 oh, yes. altogether, but 600 are the kids, the students. 1,600, sorry, 1,600. Oh, 1,600. Okay, yeah. 1,600, right. Yeah, that's massive. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely huge. Um, I think it's quite hard to remember everyone's name, so you end up kind of being able to identify them by, you know, the one who wears the Vans bag or the one with the Harry Potter glasses or something like that, just because there's so many different ones there. Yeah. And uh, what what exactly happens in your lunchtime programme? Do you know, honestly, um, for me, it was more about providing a safe space um, for the kids because I know that, luckily society is a lot more tolerant now than it has been in the past however i think there's still a lot of casual and kind of passive homophobia and transphobia that goes around and for a lot of kids that are maybe experimenting with their identity or preferences or whatever it can be quite hard to express yourself when you're not sure of the reaction so really what we're just doing is providing a place for these kids to be as expressive as they want to be you know they can come up and they can they can talk about things that are relevant to queer kids we do do a lot of other things like fundraising and so on and we are aiming to get the the overall school and um, chartered as like being LGBT friendly and I, that'll be an absolutely great achievement but the biggest achievement for me is just knowing that I've got 50 or so kids that can come into my room and be themselves completely unfiltered. I'm trying to think like if I was a teenager I would be a little bit um, cautious of going to such a group because I thought okay you know there still is this casual passive passive homophobia and transphobia or anti-LGBT sentiments from people. So I would be a little bit maybe concerned going to a group in case I put like a target on my back. Have you have you kind of experienced that from any of the students? Honestly, no, um, which I'm really, really pleased about. I think 
I think what helps is the fact that a lot of the kids that come aren't part of the LGBT community. A lot of them are friends of people who are. Um, so there's this, it's almost like me and the other, the other teacher that run it, we call it the LGBT Plus Allies Club. Um, so there's like, I would say there's maybe about 15% of the ones that are there in total that are just allies or there to support their friends and so on. So I think the fact that we're, that we're able to, to kind of foster an environment where it's like, you know, not only is it okay to be um, LGBT plus, but it's also okay to be friends with someone that is, even if you're not, is, is really, really helpful. To be honest, the same thought occurred to me though, when I started out with club, I'm um, like, because in my head, I, I was thinking to myself, am I just going to corral these kids into one easy to find group? But Luckily, it never mm-hmm. transpired that way. That's really fab. And I always think that's kind of maybe a bit of a difference in today's generation. You know, obviously, they have more exposure to gay storylines and there's more representation in Netflix and YouTube. So they see it more often. So it, it's normal. But um, like, it's okay to be friends with someone who's LGBT. Yeah, I think um, a lot of the stuff that we've done has kind of been tailored towards that kind of allyship because I think, I know it sounds like a strange one, but a lot of the time it's almost like you're being targeted in the same way as an LGBT person just by the virtue of being friends with one. But there's mm-hmm. there's this one boy who's actually in one of my classes that comes along to, um, and he is quite openly said a few times, you know, I'm not gay, I'm not anything, but these two people that also come are like two of my best friends. So here I am and I'm like, oh, that's great. I'm glad that you feel that like you're comfortable enough to come along without worrying about the, I mean, for want of a better phrase, guilt by association, well, gay by association, I suppose. So I suppose then if you're creating this space at the school, is are you quite open then with your students about your sexuality? You're gay man, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, um, the answer is kind of yes and no. And I actually had a joke the other day about one of my friends with one of my friends and work about it because I, I don't I don't tell the kids not out of, you know, hiding it or anything if it comes up in discussion or you know, you can sometimes kind of name drop, if you know what I mean, like they know that I have a male, like a few of my classes know that I have a male partner. You might not have seen it today from my pictures, but I was born with these absolutely perfect eyebrows. I'm not bragging, but I just do. Um, and I think that's sometimes a bit of a giveaway. I think the kids are all aware of it, but I'm fortunate enough in the position that, well, one, the, the school that I work in is absolutely fantastic. Like, um, it's not got any major issues at all in it, but also I've got quite a good relationship with all the kids that I teach, and I think it's almost kind of irrelevant to them, thankfully, which is the way I think it should be in wider society. But, yeah, I would say I'm I don't, I, like, open but not declarative, not declarative, I suppose. It might be, you. I think you can take uh, two aspects of this, being like, well, I don't really need to... Con- to declare my personal life because we're not here to discuss our personal lives. You're here to learn. Yeah, okay, maybe our personal lives get involved sometimes if there's issues, I suppose, with the kids, but the kids don't really need to know about your personal life. Or do they to have kind of a rapport? I don't know. Um, At the same time, you don't also want to feel like you're hiding either. Well, yeah, I think I think that's the kind of the best way to put it. Like, I, I don't hide it. Like, I think the way that it kind of came up now that I think about it with my fourth years was um, like it was coming up to the summer holidays and the usual part was, you know, what are you guys doing for summer? And I said, I'm going away. And to, well, I was I ended up not going away, but that's bad. I was like, I'm going away with my partner to London. 
it just kind of came up and I ended up using the pronoun he and there was never anything said about it. There wasn't even an acknowledgement. So I, they all know. And I think the same with other kind of classes, like if you say partner and then follow up with the pronoun he at a later point, you know, they kind of, they, they click on. But as you were kind of saying, like the rapport that I've got with the classes is is really, really good. So it's always been kind of secondary to it. But I think one of the, one of my friends has said, you know, obviously everyone has a kind of work persona. And I always thought that my work persona was fairly neutral. And I, was, I kind of made a comment. I was like, I don't think I mince about that much in work. And my friend was like, no, you definitely <laughs> do. So, and uh, I don't know if that maybe gave the game away a bit. So. Are you stomping down the hallways and stilettos? Is this what they mean? Um, I'm not quite that bad, but um, walking down the hallways, belting out musical theatre numbers. So, you know, maybe I can work on that as well. So you're like Miley Cyrus going through the school? Oh, yeah, pretty much. Just with much better hair. <laughs> so I wonder, um, before you took, even you did your first placement, because whenever you're training to be a teacher in Scotland, it's the PGCE programme, isn't it? Yeah. So you have to do, is it like six months in a school where you're training? Yeah, so it's um, three months in two schools and six months in total, but yeah, and that's pretty much how it goes. And it was the same there, like in both schools, I think just because of the way I am. And, you know, obviously you don't have as much time with kids, so you don't foster the same relationship. But um, even there, the, the kind of, the pattern, I suppose you would call it, was was fairly transparent. And I think if they would have deduced it from various other things or said, I'll be honest, it was that long ago now, I couldn't give you exacts. But no, they would have known as well. And it, it, it never made a difference. It's never made a difference at all. But I was wondering, did you, before you went into your placements or even into your job, did you go on with a plan regarding this? Or you thought, okay, what happens, happens? I was definitely more along the line of what happens, happens, just purely because I think most people professionally don't ask anymore. Um, like no one that I work beside now has asked if they know it's purely because I've either divulged or, you know, they, they put two and two together. But no, I never went in thinking I was going to, you know, back questions or have to deal with it. It's just whatever happens, happens, I think was the way that I handled it. I know that you're just new in the profession two years, but do you think being from the LGBTQ plus community has held you back or presented obstacles in your profession? Yes and no. No, and that I think the British society is tolerant enough now that there wouldn't be any kind of employment barriers or no one would think anything different. But when, I think I said to you earlier on that the kind of time frame that I grew up at was that really awkward bridge between the more tolerant acceptance society that we have now and the kind of tail end of the more openly homophobic society. So I kind of got that both kind of merged into one when I was growing up. It was at a time when I remember like one teacher, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said something that if he'd said it now would be considered really, really, really homophobic. And that kind of thing is like a mental barrier rather than a physical barrier. Um, I don't think there, was ever, there would ever be any kind of bureaucratic or physical barriers that would have started to become a teacher. But I think just from the time that I grew up, there's there was things that were said and so on that kind of felt like a mental barrier getting into it because you'll know yourself, kids can be really, really mean. You know, you think to yourself, I want to sign myself up to that particular firing lane. Of course. There's there's almost that uh, stereotype that uh, kids can be the cruelest, can't they? I suppose then if you're the one adult in a room full of 30 kids and they decide that they're all going to act up and maybe be homophobic, then this is going to be really kind of traumatic and difficult to deal with. 
Well, one of my friends is a, a business management teacher. He teaches in a much more deprived area than I do. So he's encountered some homophobia from his kids and he's got quite a thick skin. Well, I'd imagine it gets to him really, but he, he at least puts on the facade of having a big skin. So I think as well, it, it can depend where you are in the world, how badly it goes. Do you think because of his situation, he would want to move somewhere that's a little bit more tolerant? You know, oddly, I've never asked him that question. I don't think so, because he's been there for well over a decade and he's, you know, he's in a promoted post now. So I think he must be enjoying it. But he's always been quite open and honest about some of the experiences that he's had. But to be fair, I think if you're going to be a, a teacher, you need to be prepared for that kind of thing, because kids will go after you for just about anything. You know, if you're ginger or you wear glasses or, you know, sometimes if they just don't like the cut of your jib. Um, they'll find something to go at you for. So. How do your job is what? How you speak? Like the kind of person you are, I suppose. Um, okay. like, yeah, the cut of your, I don't like the cut of your jib, pal. Um, <laughs> well, I don't like how you look. Yeah, pretty much. Where do you get your style from, like? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Okay. And uh, do you find that because being a gay man and a teacher, that maybe you have a sharper eye for bullying in the school? Because, you know, I'm gay man as well. And I think I can speak for the LGBTQ plus community. We're more likely to have... Uh, problems with bullying or being teased at school and I know that recently um, the French government said something that bullying now is tantamount to being a, a crime and it's something that someone can be charged for. Do you feel like you have a sharper eye for this or you how do you handle bullying at school? I think like, I think any kind of bullying has to be handled to zero tolerance um, I think the biggest problem is, is that for teachers especially, it doesn't matter how sharp your eye is, technology is involved in such a way that most kids don't need to do it physically or verbally anymore. Do you know, and I think that's probably one of the hardest things about it because if someone's worried about getting caught bullying, they'll just save it for Snapchat or they'll save it for TikTok or whatever it is. And you hear about those kind of stories all the time where people have absolutely shocking or horrendous TikToks made up about them. And unfortunately, they happen at break times or sometimes even in class times if a kid's sneaky enough with their phones, you know, it's, it's, it can be it can be really, really difficult. So I would like to think I've got a sharp eye. Like I, I noticed warning signs of someone being bullied quite quickly. But unfortunately, you know, kids are smarter and they just have more tools available to them now to get away with it. But I, I don't think that's limited to LGBT people, unfortunately. I think that goes pretty much everywhere. Are, are students quite good at reporting it? I'll be honest, I don't think kids will ever be good at reporting it for the same reason that they weren't when we were growing up. I think that I think that even God willing the day even if it was the day after tomorrow where LGBT plus people were able to completely be free of any kind of stigmatization or bullying based on their sexuality or gender identity, there would always be something that, you know, kids are gonna to find to bully about them. So I don't think kids will ever be good at reporting it. There's just too much. Because I think in every kid's mind, there's the idea that if you're getting bullied, it's like a, a sign of defeat almost. Mm. It's just kind of sad. Well, it's, it's very sad. But um, unfortunately, I think that means that, you know, adults will just never know the true, true picture of how bad things can get. Do you get any training when you're training to be a teacher in how to handle bullying? Yes. Yeah, you do. You get quite a lot. Um, obviously, it varies from school to school, but the... You know, the, the general gist of it is take every report seriously and depending on the severity of it, you know, if it's just a if it's just a kid being, you know, 
thrown away a, a, a passive homophobic remark like the one that you always hear is kind of boys shouting to each other you know they're typically they're they're straight male friends you know they'll be like oh you poof or something like that it's not bullying in that case but it's all it's that kind of passive bullying and that they don't know if there's an lgbt kid in that class and that word could be very upsetting to them so you know you're you're right on stuff like that but then obviously when it's more targeted or pathological bullying then you know you kind of have to hand it up the ranks but yeah very from school to school we do get quite a lot of training on it you know it's interesting that you say that um people throw around uh poof um and they're not being mean to an lgbt person they're just they think they're being funny with their friend their straight friend let's say yeah but yeah if you're if if a gay person is in the room of course they're going to hear that and think oh, okay so it's a it's a negative slur it's a way to insult people you know i have i have a sister that will still to this day you know and she doesn't mean it she actually doesn't mean it but she will say if she doesn't like something or something is lame or crap or shit she'll say that's gay or the boring <laughs> that's gay and i've never said to her look i think you need to stop doing that because maybe there's that little child thing inside me where i'm like i don't want to admit that i'm you know what did you say earlier about uh kids don't want to admit that they're being bullied or they're being targeted that's like, like a sign of defeat a sign of defeat i don't want to show that 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 hurts me because i know it's not directly trying to hurt me it's just a joke in quotation marks yeah i, I get that um i you know I, i'll be honest i've been guilty of that myself i think it's look at it, i think it's a very british thing um up and down the kind of british isles unfortunately you know kind of poof and gay being used as it's not even a pejorative anymore. It's almost like this kind of oddly misplaced adjective. Do you know what I mean? Like, if the light doesn't work, well, that's gay. Like, it, it's it's not even meant even kind of homophobically anymore. It's just kind of lost that meaning. But for young people especially, like, who maybe aren't used to it or aren't sure about who they can tell, it, it sends out a message that it's still a, a very, very negative thing. And I think that's where a lot of the, the struggle with that kind of language comes from. But, you know, I'd be lying if I said that I would, I've never done anything like that myself. It's so baked into British culture that sometimes it just slips out. Yeah, no, I know what you mean now. Can you tell me a little bit about then your your training? So whenever you decided to become a teacher, you thought, okay, I've had enough being a manager at the Apple store. I'd rather manage kids, but manage them in something that I find inspiring, which is the English language and literature. Did you find uh, the PGCE course uh, prepared you well for teaching? I mean, yes and no. It gives you all the theoretical tools and, you know, placements are really, really good for that. But you don't really, the most learning you'll do in your probation is in your probation year where you're kind of just thrown into it and just have to pick it up as you go along. I don't think that any amount of training can really prepare you for what's coming because at the end of the day, you know, it's all very well and good saying, here's your behavior strategies, here's your, you know, your teaching strategies and so on. At the end of the day, you're not te- teaching one class, two class, three classes, you're teaching 30 individuals and then another 30 individuals and then another 30 individuals and every single one of them has their own e-quark. So prepared me on a theoretical basis, but I don't think any course can prepare you from for the, and I don't say this in a bad way, because as I said before, I love my job, but for the hellscape that teaching can be, 
and nothing can prepare you for that. Do you remember your first day? <laughs> what was that? Vividly. Um, do you know, my, well, my friends always tell me I'm like a swan and that I look very calm and very, very graceful, but under the water, the wee legs are going like mad. That was my first day. My first day properly teaching a straight face, serious face. Um, but I just got a haircut that day and I actually remember that the back of my head was sweating. I was that nervous in the first ever class that I taught. And I, I don't get like that with any new classes now. Like I'm set, well, not I'm settled in the sense that I can open up a class now, but that was that was really, really nerve wracking because every other class that I taught at that point had been in placement and the full-time class teacher always gives you like a couple of weeks to introduce you where you'll kind of hang about and the kids get used to your presence so it's not a shock when they come in but you know when the kids are like you've not been in this school before and I'm younger than some of the other teachers in the school that you know they, they see these things as kind of signs of weakness and you're very very aware of that so I'm very nerve-wracking experience. I was wondering if we could um, talk a little bit then about you growing up. So you're you're born you no you weren't born in Scotland, right? No, I was born you grew in up in Scotland. Yeah, I grew up in Scotland, but I was born in Bolivia. Can you tell me a little bit then about your upbringing? I have the single most boring upbringing imaginable. <laughs> like if you if you were if if you could write a story about a typical Scottish boy's life, that's pretty much how it goes. Um, you know as I can honestly play a single like, exciting thing that happened to me, um, other than a couple of holidays I went on. But no, I grew up with my mum and my dad. I have a younger brother as well. I went to a school nearby where I stayed and I came out, I think, when I was 14, 14, something like that. No, I, <laughs> I could tell you about my upbringing. It would be a case of, yes, every single day I went to school and then I came home and my mum made sure that I did my homework or she would not feed me for the night or something like that. <laughs> That's unfortunate, but as exciting as I got. I assume then that it was quite, you say it's boring, but it sounds like it was quite happy and regular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I have a great relationship with my mum and dad. My mum my is hilarious. My dad is, you know, ridiculous, but I absolutely adore him. I have a great relationship with my brother. The only thing that I wish had been different was his um that we had pets growing up, but my mum and dad explicitly forbade those. They would let us have goldfish, but that's only because you can rely on them. You die quite quickly. All right. So how long did your goldfish last before your mum flushed them away? Um, I don't even think they had to die before my mum would start flushing them away, to be honest with you. I think <laughs> as soon as she as soon as she realised I had no intention of cleaning that tank, they were well gone. Right. She would just tell you, oh God, look, yeah. they look well peely-wally. Better throw them away. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, and one time my brother, actually, I think he was like six or seven, he he did the same. He just kind of put his hand in the bowl and just threw it away. And I'm like, all right, okay, well, that's that fish gone then. Um, I really hope Peter isn't listening to this because this is not making my family sound good, to be honest. We, we had goldfish growing up too as well, but our goldfish were always wanted like the Hiram Fair. So like whenever they would celebrate uh, the town being farmers in the past, and you could ride on a horse through the town, but you could also throw a ball at some pins and you could win a goldfish. But these goldfish always seem to have like terminal diseases because they didn't live past two or three days. But in the end, we did get one that I think lived something ridiculous, like 13 years. A 13-year goldfish? Yeah, not exactly. really. It was like 13 years. It must have been like thoroughbred or something. <laughs> All right, well, I think you need to get in touch with your breeder because there would have been cash to be made for that. Um, so you, you came out at uh, 
14. Can you tell yeah. me a little bit about that? Um, do you know, I remember I told one of my friends and then I told one of my other friends and, you know, well, try to keep a secret in high schools. Like it just became quite explosive quite quickly. I was very, very fortunate in that a lot of my friends were quite attractive girls. So a lot of the boys who maybe would have otherwise said anything decided not to because their 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 future, their planned romances with some of the girls rested entirely on them being nice to me. So um, I managed to escape some of it, thankfully. I think it, I had a really, really easy coming out. Like my mum and dad were very, very supportive. Um, my brother was very, very supportive as well. Like my brother and I are like we're really, really close that way. Um, so there was never any kind of issues that I had. I think a lot of the issues that I did encounter actually happened after I left school and I would like, you know, I'd have boyfriends and stuff. And, you know, if you're walking down the street holding hands, that's when the comments and stuff start to get thrown about. So the coming out part of it was fine for me. It was actually the kind of several years after that that I began to see like, oh, you know, like homophobia is actually like still a thing. So you didn't mean to come out entirely. You just told a couple of people and then it spread. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which to be fair is entirely my fault. I mean, as I say, I try to keep a secret in the high schools, like, you know, try to hold water. But yeah, it's, it, it honestly was never, ever an issue in high school. Mm. Luckily, because there was, there was a boy who didn't come out until well after we left high school, but he was like like a flaming homosexual, um, which is obviously amazing. But he, he got a lot of hard time, even though he wasn't out. I, I escaped some of that. Would it be fair to say he had that kind of... Um what people regard as very effeminate behavior that it's like okay we can bully him because to be a boy and to be effeminate is like the worst thing in the world supposedly so we're all allowed to make fun of him oh yeah 100 percent um he got it quite hard now see to be fair again i was effeminate in high school as well but i had the, the protection of my friends he unfortunately didn't but you know he was he was total raging queer which i totally support and I felt I, I was actually kind of jealous of him that he could be so openly expressive, but simultaneously really repressed. And I know I think it, I think that must have been a weird experience in his head as well to be so expressive but repressed at the same time as well. Yeah, because it's like this thing where you just want to show your fabulousness. I think you just want to show you want to be authentically yourself, and it seems like some of us learn how to code switch. We learn how to behave in certain groups to kind of slip under the radar, radar, get by, you know, have no problems, look like we fit in when we feel like we don't. And it seems like other people are not able to do that. And I would be the same as you. I would think, God, I'm so jealous of you stomping down the, the, the street looking all fabulous, walking like you're with Kate Moss and Naomi Campbell on the <laughs> on the catwalk. And I'm, I don't know, when I think of me as a teenager, I'm trying to be more kind of invisible. I'm a little bit more proactive in blending in. Yeah, I think blending in something that a lot of gay people, well, let me rephrase that. A lot of gay people our age learn to do. Luckily, I don't, I don't think you have to as much now. Um, and certainly, you know, my experience as being a teacher, seeing that, you know, a lot of gay kids are much more open to experiment with their identity and be, you know, more openly uncertain, which I think is a great thing. But, you know, certainly, you know, people from my generation, like, blend in and was a, a well-earned habit. But I don't think you ever, like, really, really master it. Like, for me, it was 
you know, anytime Mean Girls came on, like all all pretense was abandoned. What do you mean when when Mean Girls come up? Yeah, it was just like if before I came out, um, if Mean Girls the film ever was on in the backgrounds, then you know any kind of attempt to maintain any form of masculinity was swiftly abandoned, and you know I'd be given an absolute loudy, you know, giving it to Jingle Bell Rock or quoting all the lines and things. So that's still very true to this day. Do you have a Do you have a favorite line from Mean Girls? Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Do you ever say that to your students? Or do you say, I don't know, teacher, I didn't do my homework. Stop trying to make I didn't do my homework happen. Oh yeah, happen. all the time. Like that's not again, that's not limited to school either. Like that's something like us in about my daily life. Sometimes my mum gets that depending on what she's annoyed me about that day. <laughs> okay, so you came out at 14. So when did you when do you think you realized that you were different, that you were gay? See, that's a tricky one. Because when I was a very, very small boy, I fancied myself as something about Lothario. Um, and I, I had girlfriends and everything when I was in like, you know, primary three, four and five and so on. But it was more just an, around, an enjoyment for being around that kind of feminine culture rather than seeking a girlfriend. Because like, I was really, really into things like the Spice Girls and Steps and S Club 7. Like even to this day, I can do all their choreography and so on perfectly because I was that into it as a child. I'd say very, very small. Even though I had like girlfriends, it was more of like a, a sneaky segue into to be allowed to be around things like, you know, Steps and Spice Girls and stuff and have it be socially acceptable. And not have to go play football. Yeah, exactly. Okay, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I just thought it might be um, useful to some people listening. I know I've personally struggled with my mental health and I see a therapist about that for depression and anxiety. And I know whenever I've had to go to work and I'm dealing with these kinds of feelings, it can be really quite um, stressful or it feels almost impossible to do both. So I was just wondering, you know, because we are in the LGBTQ plus community, sometimes we're at a higher risk of struggling with our mental health. And I wonder if you have too, and how do you handle that when you need to go to school to go to work? Honestly, I mean, the answer would be yes. But I think going to school and going to work is my coping mechanism. Look at this way, I've never felt more accepted in my life than in my current job. And that's because I'm actually the staff and the kids. The fact is that I was going in expecting some kind of pushback for being a member of the community. And I never ever did from the school that I'm in. So it's kind of became my coping mechanism whenever I'm struggling with things about my mental health. The fact that there is this one place in the world where I can go and it's totally okay to be totally self-expressive. Obviously, within reason, you're still a professional, but... And, you know, that's going to make me sound like the biggest bore in the world that work is my escapism, but ultimately it is at the moment. Do you think that it's, uh, being a teacher and being gay, they have equal ratios in your identity? This is really kind of solidified a positive personal outlook of your identity. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um I, I mean, I will say this, though, you know, for anyone that is listening, like, 
don't be a teacher unless you're a hundred percent certain that it's what you want to do because if you really really don't want to do it the kids will pick up on it and that's when they'll start picking on things that they know is your weakness do you know what i mean so like i think i'm very very fortunate and i like my job and therefore i'm really really able to build good relationships with the kids and they don't kind of pick on that as a weakness because they don't see it as one but if they i can think of a few in my classes where if they saw that as a weakness they would be on about it quite quickly but for me it's a very very positive part of my identity and where I can be expressive and myself and very very open but um how do you know if you if you want to really 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 be a teacher so you don't know until you do it really no do you know oddly I've um I've always thought about being a teacher and being gay in the kind of same category for that you either know or you don't (laughs) you either do or you don't like obviously some people will you know experiment with being gay and will experiment with being a teacher but they'll realize pretty quickly if it's not for them yeah if you're listening and you notice that the sound has changed a little bit matt's house has just uh, broken down and now he's uh, he's sitting on his car. He's kindly downloaded Zoom onto his phone, and we're going to continue the interview with him in his car. Yes, thank you very much for getting me back on. And <laughs> um, the last question I asked you was: Do you think you were experimenting being a teacher when you were a manager at the Apple Shop? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I really, really do because um, I, I don't know if this is uh, this is um, a thing that I get from my mom, but I'm a bit of a control freak, and I like showing people what to do and like watching them then do it. And my mom does that. Like that's how I learned to cook from watching my mom. And when I worked in Apple as like a trainer. I really, really enjoyed what I was doing. I just, um, I couldn't really handle the, the kind of, um, I'm trying to think of an appropriate word that I can use here, the kind of rubbish excuses that you would get from adults, you know, like, oh, I've got the runs or, um, you know, I, I, and it was always like a Sunday, like everyone has like, you know, sickness and diarrhea on a Sunday. And mm-hmm. um, I kind of get really, really sick of that. But yeah, I was definitely experimenting with being a teacher when I worked in the Apple store because I loved training people, even if I didn't like the adultier aspects of it, I suppose. And would you say that being a teacher is more fun than being a manager? Oh yeah, being a being a teacher is absolutely hilarious. Um, and you know, I think you know when people like, most often when I say to people, you know, I'm a teacher, the reaction is, oh my god, I could never do that. But it's because when you're doing it, you see all these miniature versions of you and your friends. You see, like you just see kids that exhibit, you know, the same kind of little quirks or personality traits that you had at that age. And it's just really, really funny to to watch them kind of, you know, segue their life through this kind of really awkward phase. Because I, I, being a teenager is horrific, no matter where in the world you're from. And I think it's just really, really funny to see kids kind of try to navigate it, but at the same time think they act like they know everything and act like they know what's going on in the world. I think one thing that people tend to think about teachers is that uh, you have a lot of uh, free time. But I think this is kind of a paradox, isn't it, really? Because, well, especially if you're an English teacher, you know, if you're marking essays, it doesn't take you two minutes to mark an essay, really. With most of us, work takes up a lot of our life and energy. And I was wondering, with you being uh, an English teacher, how do you find it? staying in contact with friends, keeping up your relationships, giving time to your partner and family? Do you know, honestly, um, it is a struggle, but I, I don't actually, I think it's not any more of a struggle than I think it has been 
like so when I was doing my my student year, I worked in a call center for my like which is you know working in call centers is the worst job imaginable. Most jobs are nine to five, whereas teachers, you know, typically nine to three or nine to half three or whatever it is. So we have the shorter day, but we have a lot more to do when we go home. But luckily, when you kind of take it as a balance, it all balances out. So, you know, people in 95 jobs or 96 jobs, whatever it is, they'll typically say, oh, do you not enjoy all the time off and all the extra holidays you get? We're like, yeah, you do. But we ultimately end up doing roughly the same amount of work as everybody else. So I think, you know, it, it can be very time consuming and it can eat into your social life, but it's just about finding the balance, I suppose. Like, because... I always say to myself, right, I'm not marking anything after half past six tonight or I absolutely refuse to look at any more of these essays during the October break or the half term or whatever it is because you just you just have to find where your limit is and make sure that you stick to it um, so that you're kind of spending time with your friends and partner or whatever it is. Is there a sense of a, kind of a, a strict routine being quite important to your happiness and you being good at your job? Oh yeah, a hundred percent, especially especially because I'm one of those people like so even when I go to the gym and so on, like when I'm when I'm on the gym, like I'll say to myself, like I'm gonna spend thirty minutes on the tre- uh, on the, the treadmill. Like I will not spend a single second or a single well, single second more or less than thirty second thirty minutes on that treadmill, just purely because I, I'm kinda of regimented that way. So I think that for being a teacher that's kinda of helped me because it means that I do have the kind of for want a better phrase, discipline to say to my, myself, I am not marking anything past six thirty tonight. I think I need that uh, kind of self discipline because a lot of my <laughs> a lot of my friends who are also teachers are like, oh no, we mark till like seven or eight at night, and then but then what happens is is they do all their marking Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but they're burnt out completely by Thursday, Friday. So even though they've got more free time, they're so exhausted that they don't do anything with it. It's not so good then, is it? It's better to spread it out a little bit and what still be able to relax during the week. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, obviously different folks, different strokes, but that's typically how I approach it when I'm thinking about, you know, how much I'm, I will use the word willing, but, you know, able to work. I think you just need to find what your own personal balance is, what your own what your own limits are. And uh, you were going out with your partner before you became a teacher? Yeah, we've uh, we've been together for 10 years now. So he, he's actually been with me since just before I graduated uni, all through my time with Apple, all and so kind of the entire journey into becoming a teacher he's been there does he do a similar job uh no he hates kids um so he's, <laughs> no um, like if he was a teacher there he, he would be in jail for murder by now um no he's a he's a janitor he does caretaking and a couple of buildings run about the council area where we live all uh, right okay i'm sure would you never get him a job in the school being a janitor there Oh, he does work in some schools occasionally, um, but he, he, like, he, hates, he hates kids, so that's always the kind of big thing that stops him being there for any length of time. No, he, he flits between the schools, but he doesn't really... He has a base in one school, but he flits between so many other buildings that are owned by the council, so that kind of keeps him busy. But no, he would he would last about 10 seconds being a teacher before he would be up in charge as a murderer or something like that. I take it then you're not going to have kids together, and the kids that you teach at school are your kids? Well, you know, oddly... I think we would have kids together. He hates other people's kids. 
but he loves his own niece and nephew and he likes any of the kids in my family. So I think if we had kids, it would be absolutely fine. But any kid that doesn't have a, a direct relationship to us, um, he hates them. Like there's kids that aren't far away from where he stays and there's been a couple of, let's just call them swearing incidents where the kids are doing something quite benign and he loses his temper with them quite quickly. Um, but I think he'd be all right if we had our own kids. To be, to be honest, I think he's quite right. You know, <laughs> isn't that kind of the general idea that my kid is an angel and great and the sun shines out of their ass your, <laughs> kid, your kid is the absolute worst oh yeah um so that, that's entirely his attitude um you know i think i can't remember what it was but it was something it was something totally benign like we were standing at a pair of traffic lights and i can't remember what this kid did but the kid either nudged him or bumped him i think he was like stepped on his toe it was something like that the kid clearly didn't mean it because the kid couldn't have been older than like 11 or 12 and he was like for fuck's sake you prick and i'm like oh my god you're gonna get us arrested for absolutely <laughs> over nothing um so that's that's one of the reasons that he can be a teacher um okay I, I i wanted to ask you when we were discussing your um when you were growing up did you have a role model growing up I think my parents, obviously, but I didn't have a, a queer or LGBT role model at all. My parents were like my role model because like my parents are like miles away from perfect, but they're like pretty awesome in the sense that, you know, they were they were the kind of the only role models that I had. I didn't have any kind of extra familial role models, even though in a lot of ways in hindsight, I would have liked some. And, you know, like all kind of jokes aside, that is one of the reasons that I, I did become a teacher. I would like to think that there was like, you know, kids in my class who are sitting thinking, well, I don't know if I can do this job, this job or this job because um, I'm, I identify as LGBT plus or whatever it is. And then they maybe see someone like me who hopefully they, they can tell loves their job and, you know, they're, they're a wee bit more keen to pursue it that way. Oh, definitely. This is exactly why I want to do the podcast, to speak to people like you. But was there something particular about your parents, just what their work ethic or the way that they approached life, that they were your role model? So, I mean, both my brother and I were adopted um, from Bolivia. So they, my parents were, were both Scottish. And it's, it's really, it's, it's kind of hard to narrow it down to just one thing. I've just, I've never met people that are more selfless in all my life. Like they would, they would do literally anything for anybody. It's kind of to a fault sometimes because... My mom, maybe a bit more so than my dad, has been taken advantage of in terms of what she's willing to do for people. Um, but that's what kind of made them a role model is just because they are so, so selfless. Yeah, not perfect, but uh, totally selfless. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that we, we, we did have and do have a great relationship now. So you think one of the main things you've learned from them is to be able to help others and you saw uh, okay this is something that I've really learned for, from them and I could use as a teacher yeah exactly yeah like um you know I think there has to be an element of selflessness if you're going to be a teacher you have to be like you know willing to go the extra mile because you know like like I was saying earlier kids aren't all just a monolith they're they're all these individuals and a lot of them will ask massive things of you that you're not really prepared for like a lot of the time you know it can be quite personal stuff they can share quite personal stuff and you have to have that kind of streak of selflessness in it and yourself to be able to do it and I think I definitely learned that from my mom and dad. Matt uh, I'm at the last question now, um, and I'm going to ask the same last question to everyone that I interview. You've already mentioned a little bit already, um, but do you have any tips or advice, or do you wish someone had told you something 
before you became a teacher, before you were preparing to for this profession? Yeah, but I don't think it's exclusive to being a teacher. I mean, for being a teacher, I would just say, just don't do it unless you're 100% sure for it. But like for any kind of job, you know, don't be afraid to, to fuck up. Don't, I mean, just like go out there and make a complete mess of things, fail along the way. You'll, you'll never be a success unless you fail at something. And I think that's the biggest step I could give to anyone. And don't let that ever hold you back. Yeah, this is, this is very true, isn't it? You almost have to have confidence to make mistakes. Yeah. And nobody tells you that. Like nobody in school tells you that. No one's parents tell you that. We're, we're kind of living in a society where you're measured by your success. But I've always thought be measured by how you get up from your failures because we're always going to fail. We're always going to make an absolute pig's ear or something along the way. But it's always about how you recover from that. You know, keep failing and make sure you keep getting up because that's how you'll get better and that's how you achieve what you're trying to achieve. Matt, you've been really kind and you've said that I can share your email address along with the podcast. So if anyone listening is thinking of becoming a a teacher and would like to know anything a bit more specific, something that I didn't ask, feel free to contact Matt. And uh, I suppose then if he doesn't, like you contact him, contacting him so much, he'll get his partner to come over and be <laughs> Yeah, he'll let you know quite quickly that you're not welcome. <laughs> um, so, Matt, thanks very much for talking with me. I know that anyone that is listening and thinking about becoming a teacher, they'll have found it um, really helpful. And uh, you are uh, a role model to someone that never did have... Um, a gay teacher before or a teacher from the LGBTQ plus community. And I'm sure you're an inspiration and a role model to all your students at school. Well, thank you very much for having me, Dennis. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll make sure and um, send you the link once I've um, edited it and I've put it up on Spotify. That's if I haven't decided to take it off Spotify and protest because of Joe Rogan. Oh, yeah. No, I know. I would entirely support that decision.